Um, good morning, Village Church. Uh, my name is Chris. I'm a pastor in Rancho Santa Margarita. Uh, for those of you guys who have been here for a minute, uh, you know that uh, me, my wife, and a small team uh, were sent out from here to plant King's Cross Church in Rancho Santa Margarita. Uh, we've been around for five years uh, by the grace of God, barely survived COVID. And, you know, I just realized there's this big gap right here. This must be the splash zone for Matt Kaiser when he's preaching, right? Um, but hey, it's, it's good to be back here with you. Uh, good to be with you and just to be in God's word together. Um, if you wouldn't mind, let's, let's, let's pray together and then we'll get started in Romans 12. Uh, Father, I thank you so much uh, for my brothers and sisters here, uh, the saints at Village Church in Irvine. Uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity that we have to just be in your word together. Uh, Holy Spirit, would you just stir our affections for Jesus? Would you open our eyes to the wonderful truths in your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, so our topic this morning, uh, out of Romans 12, is we're going to look at the topic of friendship. Uh, now, when I say the word friend, what comes to mind for you guys? And what does the word friend mean to you? I mean, if the word friend, it used to mean somebody that you shared like a meaningful and mutual bond with, right? Maybe involved a certain level of camaraderie, uh, a shared mission and purpose together where you walk alongside each other. But today... I think today the word friend is kind of more nebulous, right? Like social networks probably contributed to that. Like according to dictionary.com, the word friend has actually changed. The definition has changed. It can also be a verb. You can use friend as a verb to mean to add someone to a list of contacts associated with a social networking website. That's one of the definitions of the word friend. But when someone friends you on Facebook, do they really know you? Like, really, really know you. Like, sure, you can discover a lot by scrolling through, like, my page on Facebook, swiping through. You can find out, you know, who my wife is, her name, what she looks like, uh, how many kids I have, which side is my good side. It's this one, by the way, right? But knowing, knowing a few facts about me doesn't make up the full story of who I am or the full story of who God's making to be. Uh, it doesn't make us friends in the truest sense of that word. That's not friendship in the deepest and truest sense. And for you to survive and thrive the way that God intended, you need the kind of friends that the scriptures speak of. Um, I was thinking of uh, J.R. Tolkien like over the last few weeks because of the, that, that new show on Amazon Prime, The Rings of Power, uh, from his Lord of the Rings. And it, it made me think of how Tolkien was in this uh, small uh, group of friends called the Inklings. Uh, it was a group of writer friends that he had. He actually started it with C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity. Uh, they, they would meet with a few of their buddies at this local pub for pints, pipes, and prose. And the group was known for their skills in writing, but also for valuing deep friendship together. They were legendary in that respect for how they were known for their deep friendship. And at one point, C.S. Lewis lamented that what they had uh, seemed to be something that was so rare in his time just a little less than a century ago. Here, here's what he says. He says, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, 
ignores it. And again, he wrote this a little less than a century ago, but, but uh, I would argue that, that we haven't gotten much better by now. I think the reason that we find true friendships so hard and so difficult in the modern world is that we rarely experience it. We've been nurtured by a modern culture that tells us that busyness, autonomy, self-individualism, and self-expression is where it's at. And so you'll only look for friends, friends who are useful for you, who have served some type of utilitarian purpose. Like, hey, will this person get me ahead? Will they, will they get me what I need? Or you'll look for friends who are just amusing to you. They, they entertain you. Like, will you be entertained? Will you have a good time together? Or you look for friends that maybe you share some affinity with, right? You live on the same block. You work at the same job. You root for the same team. And again, there's nothing wrong with those things, but if that's all you've got, then there's no real depth. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have some form of friendship with people included in your just regular rhythms of life. What I am saying is that when it comes to true friendship, community and fellowship as the Bible describes it, there's so much more to it. There's something so much greater and truer that the scripture speaks of. There's a general principle that the greater the vision that you have between two people, the stronger the friendship will be. You ever notice that in all the, all the big, like, Pixar movies, right? Like, you usually have two characters, whether it's, uh, uh, like, it, 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 like, Woody and uh, Buzz, right? Carl and what's his name in Up? Does anybody know? Like, those two characters, like, they, they, and they start off the beginning of the movie uh, not getting along, but then somewhere along the line, some conflict happens. They have a shared vision, and then their friendship grows. There's... Greater the vision, the stronger the friendship, and there's no greater pursuit in life than to know the God who gave us life. And the deepest friendship is found in God himself. In John 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I call you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I've made known to you. He gives him a greater vision. He gives them a shared mission, and he calls them friends. And so now, God is in perfect community with himself as a trinity, right? Father, Son, and Spirit. He's in perfect community and fellowship with himself. And we, Jesus says, are invited into that. You know what that does? It turns the church into an incubator for the most meaningful friendships that we could have. And so what should these relationships look like? I think fewer passages give us a clear blueprint for true friendship than Romans 12. It names several key factors central to true and biblical friendship. And we're just going to highlight a few of them. We're not going to get a chance to look at every single verse, but uh, we're going to look at a few of them. I'll give you the outline on the front end. We're going to see how a true friend comforts, a true friend sharpens, a true friend honors, and a true friend prays. Let's look at that first point. A true friend comforts. A true friend comforts. In Romans 12, verse 15, it says this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Now, when we read that command to rejoice with those who rejoice, we think to ourselves, like, sure, I can do that, right? Like, who doesn't want a good celebration? Who doesn't want to rejoice? Who doesn't like to party? If you have something to rejoice in, then, hey, let's celebrate together. I'll even bring dessert, right? But the apostle, he calls his readers to do more than share in joys. He calls them to share in their sorrows too. He says, weep with those who weep. Like Jesus did with those who mourn and grieve. I think for a lot of people, their emotional life is driven by their personality rather than the person of Jesus. And so you're either a rejoicing friend who loves to rejoice or you're a weeping friend who likes to come alongside those who are suffering. The rejoicing friend is someone who's like always happy, right? Always looking on the bright side of things, always optimistic, maybe even annoyingly so sometimes, right? They don't know what to do with bad news. They don't know what to do when you share you're having a bad week. They'll try to change the subject or end the conversation when you share something sad, something bumming you out because they don't want to be bummed out too and they don't want to deal with anything that is hard. And so you, you always call them when you got some good news and never for the bad news. The weeping friend is someone who's like always a downer, right? Always sad, always an Eeyore, always listening to like the Smiths or playing like Everybody Hurts by R.E.M. on repeat. And when you have a rough week, the weeping friend says like, yeah, mine was hard too. Mine was kind of a bummer too. And, and you're okay being bummed around them because they know how to commiserate. But you can't share anything happy or worth celebrating because you feel like they might rain on your parade, right? Like, oh, that's cool. You had a great week, right? You see, if you're emotionally unbalanced, if you're emotionally unhealthy, you can't minister to people where they're at. You just hope that they meet you where you're at. But man, the Christian should be so emotionally grounded and secure in Christ that you can truly rejoice with those who rejoice and truly weep with those who weep. Theologians have called this the ministry of presence. It says, hey, I'm here for you wherever you're at. I'm here for you wherever your heart is at. You're having a good day? Man, I'll rejoice in that with you. You're having a bad season? I'll weep with you. I'll walk alongside you. This is the nature of true friendship. John Calvin explains it this way. He says, what is meant is that we, as much as possible, ought to sympathize with one another, and that whatever our lot may be, each should transfer to himself the feeling of another, whether of grief and adversity or of joy and prosperity. And so when your friend rejoices, you, you see that as, as a win for yourself. When your friend weeps, you would rather sit next to them and, and grieve with them than gaze sympathetically uh, from a distance in, in ease and in comfort. Not only is a, a friend uh, a comfort, but a friend also sharpens. Point number two. We see this back in verse 9 when it says, Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. In other words, let your love be real, let it be genuine. He's warning against a counterfeit love, a love that doesn't hate and abhor evil, a love that doesn't challenge. Because that kind of love, a love that doesn't challenge somebody, is the easier to dish out, isn't it? 
What we need are friends who, by their word and example, they encourage us to turn from our sin and back to Jesus. Now, let me be the first to confess. Confronting friend, a friend like on, on something difficult, uh, confronting a, a friend in, on, in, in their sin is, is a hard thing for me to do. It feels like you're gambling with relational currency, right? Like there's a risk involved. Am I going to lose this friend? Will they hate me after I say this? What if I approach it in the wrong way, use the wrong words? What if I'm wrong about the situation? What if I made an assumption here? Will this get awkward between us? And if it does, will our friendship ever recover? I think those are fair questions to ask. But we got to work through them because to ignore sin for the sake of love is not true love at all. It is a counterfeit love, a love that is not genuine, a hypocritical love. Proverbs 27, 17 says, iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. You see, true friendship is more than just this steadiness that says, hey, I'm not going to go anywhere no matter the ups and downs of life. It's also this active investment in the other person's growth. Like earlier in Proverbs 27, it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. So you want to be a faithful friend, then you got to wound sometimes. Faithful are the wounds of a friend and profuse or wicked are the kisses of an enemy. In other words, you love someone so much that you're willing to tell the God honest truth even, even if it might hurt them. Because you're more concerned about that person's long-term holiness than you are with their short-term happiness. You see, the goal is to make each other sharp because God wants us to be sharp. He doesn't want us to be dull. Left to ourselves, we get dull. But God, he wants to refine us. He wants to make us sharp. And so when Proverbs 27 says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, that word faithful there, it can also be translated trustworthy. That's the word in the CSB. In other words, you can trust a true friend even when what they're saying hurts because you know they're not someone who delights in tearing you down. This is someone who's willing to do the uncomfortable work of iron sharpening iron, even if the sparks fly, because they believe in who God is making you to be. I mean, think about it. We all have blind spots, right? You guys want to know what mine are? I couldn't tell you, right? That's why they're called blind spots. That's why I surround myself who... With, with men who, along with my wife, like they love me and they appreciate me. Sure, they'll encourage me in my gifts, but they're not all that impressed by me. They have the freedom to call me out and to know that I'll listen because they've been there for me. They've, they've enacted in the ministry of presence with me. And that's why the author of Hebrews encouraged us to stir up one another towards love and good works. A true friend believes in what God wants to do through you. A true friend sees who God is making you to be and wants to see you get there. A true friend is someone who makes you a better version of yourself. A little pro tip. This requires having the type of friends and being the type of friends where you're open and honest about the mess in your lives. Because if you're never 
open and honest about how jacked up and messed up and sinful that you are, no one's going to feel safe coming to you with that, with their own stuff. But if the counsel you always get, you see, if the counsel that you always get in return is reassuring and sweet, or if it's always clashing, if it's always one or the other, like that's not a real friendship. What that is is emotional exploitation. One person's using the other for something, or you both are. Only a true friend has the type of wisdom that the Spirit of God brings that can bring the type of encouragement or the type of sharpening that will help you become the person that God created you to be. And the truth is, this can be difficult. It will be difficult for you to be wise and faithful to the end without a Christian friend of your life to purge you, challenge you, and counsel you. But when iron sharpens iron, there's friction, right? Sometimes sparks can fly. And what you need to know is that there's a difference between just hurting someone and harming someone. There's a difference between feeling love and being loved. And Jesus, he loved everyone perfectly. He loved everyone perfectly, and some people hated him for it. They hated him so bad they took him to the cross. And you need to realize this. You need to know that there's a difference here. Find people who can be there in your corner to encourage you in your strengths, but also aren't too impressed by you and can be honest about your blind spots and your weaknesses. Our culture today tells us the exact opposite, right? Our culture today tells us that, that, that our goal should be, uh, is, is, is hyper-individualistic. It tells us, like, no, you don't need other people. You don't need other people. You just do you. Self-actualized you. Self-determined you. You can't have that kind of individualism and extreme autonomy and also have authentic, loving community. You can have one or the other, but you can't have both. Are you willing to let others press in? And are they, are they willing to let you? Are you stirring one another to love and good works? How about this? Let's, let's, let's make that commitment. Let's remember that Jesus is our sanctification. He's our growth. Let's fight for long-term holiness together. That will require you being open and transparent about your own mess and sins because we know we're messed up and we know that we want to be sharpened. And then without any judgment, let's love one another. And when we do that, by the grace of God, it resonates as a witness among others, among our guests who seek a safe and welcoming place or community. Point number three, a true friend honors a true friend honors. We see this in verse 10 when Paul says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. You ever have a person in your life that always feel like they need to compete with you, right? Parents can be the worst at this. Like, oh, your kid just learned how to do that? Right? My kid figured that out a long time ago. Did you know that this verse, outdo one another and showing honor, is the only place that the scriptures actually encourage us to compete in showing honor? 
I mean, some people, they're not looking for friends to love. They're looking for foes to compete with. But we're here to complete one another, not compete with each other, to complement one another. If you're the person who always has a critical spirit, then you might think you have discernment, but really what you have is pride. Look, we're so bent towards pride, the human heart, that some churches, they'll make an entire identity out of criticizing the other, right? I know Village isn't like that, but I know some of you maybe have some wounds from a church that you went to that was like that. Always criticizing the other, other churches, other people, other tribes. They'll even take the scriptures and instead of using them as a source of life, they'll use them as a weapon to tear down others, to puff up our own self-righteous image and look down on others. But you can't truly love someone if you think that you're better than them. We see this play out in our politics these days. You can't love someone you think that you're better than. We're all made in the image of God. We all have blind spots and dark spots. And true friendship, biblical friendship, eliminates any form of competition among believers. Instead, we're called to honor one another above ourselves, outdo one another in showing honor. Now, whether, the, we're, whether we're the product of this individualistic, like, Western thinking or, or maybe it's like a competitive sports background conditioning, we tend, to, we tend to like to brood competition instead of cooperation, bitterness instead of honor. Well, let me ask this. How do you respond? How do you respond when God blesses one of your friends in a way that, that you wanted to be blessed? Like when they get the job that you wanted, the relationship that you wish you had, the ministry opportunity that you believe you were called to, do you respond with bitterness and cynicism? Or do you honor and celebrate that person, the evidence of God's grace in that person's life? Have the Spirit of God reorient to that competitive urge and outdo your brother or sister in showing honor. And look, outdoing one another in honor isn't just the alternative of competition. It means that you're looking for those evidences of God's grace in the friends you have. Like you're active in that. You're looking for it. You're praying, God, give me eyes to see how you're at work in this person so I can encourage that. You get to know their strengths. You encourage them through their weaknesses and you honor them relentlessly and rejoice in your shared hope. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. So let me say this, let's, let's, be, let's be the kind of saints, the kind of Christians that, does, that do what God calls us to do by celebrating evidence of grace in one another's lives and honoring each other. Lastly, point number four, a true friend prays. A true friend prays. Verse 12 says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. You see, when you understand true friendship, it's going to deeply affect your prayer life. 
And sometimes we, we buy into that individualistic approach to faith that the Western world thrusts on us, right? Where we're, we say things like, no, I'm just concerned about my growth as a Christian, my progress in holiness, my calling in ministry, my growing in ministry skills. Pray, I pray that God would enable me to grow and prosper, but biblical friendship will cause us to, to pray for others, to pray for others. And the second person, that God, I pray that, that we would grow, that we would turn from our sin, that we would unite in our calling together, that we would use our gifts well. Sometimes we get so consumed about how others are not living up to our own standards that we, we end up neglecting to even pray for them in a spirit of love. I had the opportunity to reconnect with an old friend recently. Um, he was a friend who had deeply betrayed uh, me and my wife and some close friends of ours. And uh, I, I mean, man, I can't tell you like how hurt I was by this friend um, years ago. And uh, we, we honestly haven't, hadn't spoken in, in years. Um, but I found out recently that he was uh, leaving, moving out of state. And so uh, I, I found myself in this sort of chance encounter with him. I was in his area, uh, stopped by his office, uh, asked if I could see him and talk to him. And what I thought would be like a two-minute conversation ended up being uh, a two-hour sit-down. And... I just said, I just wanted to communicate to him that, like, man, like, I know, I don't know exactly, like, what happened, or, I mean, I know what happened, but, like, you know, the, like, how the, the relationship uh, dissolved, but I was like, I just, I just want you to know that, you know, when I, when I look back to those times when we, when we were friends and when we served together, um, like, I miss those days, and I miss your friendship. We prayed together. Um, we prayed together that day. And man, this, this guy um, like broke down in tears and he said, thank you so much for taking initiative to have this conversation. He's like, I had no idea like what you thought of me and this conversation was a gift to me. You see, praying for one another has, and praying together with somebody, just has a way of tearing down the walls of cynicism, building up one another in unity, and uniting us in our calling together. You see, if you spend more time listing another person's faults than you do praying for their holiness, then you don't love them the way that Christ would have you. Is the entire body of Christ, the entire, the entire church, not just, not just one person over here, one person over there, one person, like, it's all of us that needs to grow. Man, when you look at all the prayers that are written out in the New Testament, most of them written by the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, if you look at most of those prayers, Paul is praying for the unity and the growth of the church, of God's people. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for their mission. He's praying for their community, for their unity. 
When you look at the last, uh, when you look at the last uh, uh, a prayer, recorded prayer written by, by, by Jesus, um, he's praying for his enemies. And in John 17, he's praying for the unity and for the mission of his church, an entire chapter where he just goes on praying for them before he leaves. I've got a friend who uh, is one of our home group leaders and one of our elder candidates. He, he uh, uh, has this app on his phone uh, that rem- that where he puts in all his prayer requests, and then throughout the week it will send him a little notification that says, like, hey, pray for uh, Chris and Alyssa, pray for the home group leaders, pray for this person, pray for that person. And every time that, uh, that uh, he, he gets the notification to pray for me and my wife and my family, uh, he screenshots it and sends it over to me and said, hey, just want you to know, like, I'm, I'm thinking about you and I'm praying for you. I can't tell you how much that blesses me. Man, do you have that kind of concern, that kind of love for your brothers and sisters here? Are you praying for the growth of others as much as you are your own? And when you show up and look around, do you think, like right now, when you look around the room, do you think, like, I'm going to pray for these people this week? I wonder how that one guy is doing with that job situation. I wonder how she's doing with that, that struggle. I wonder how they're doing with that, that conflict that they shared with us last week. See, God calls us to be comforters, to be sharpeners, to honor one another, and to pray together. Now, why is this so hard? In closing, let's just talk about that. Why is it so hard to be a true friend? I think it's because in some sense, in some sense, we don't want to be. We're selfish. We're self-protective. We're self-preserving. The work of being a true friend is hard. It, it requires risk. And so we, we run away from both the friends that we need and also the friends that need us, that God's called us to. We're blinded by our sin and we only pursue friendships so long as they satisfy our own wants and desires. We don't want to comfort others because it it drains our personal time and energy. We don't want to sharpen others because we'd rather enjoy casual relationships than risk going deep. We don't want to honor others because we're only thinking about how we'll receive honor ourselves. But when we turn to the scriptures, what do we see? We see that God is so wise. He's so wise. He knows the selfish inclinations of our hearts. And the good news is he won't leave us there. The Bible that reveals how imperfect we are and how often we fall short is the same Bible that points us to Jesus who saves us from our sin. And the same spirit that convicts us also calls us to live selflessly with others and empowers us to do so in a community of faith, to be a true friend the way that Jesus was. John 15 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You know what he's speaking of there? Jesus is speaking about himself. The greatest friend is Jesus himself. 
the great king of all kings and lord of all lords is also the friend of all friends. He's the chief friend of sinners, sinners like me and sinners like you. And Christians who bear his name are now called to befriend one another because he first befriended us. So why is a Christian called to be a comforting friend? It's because Jesus was a comforting friend, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief himself. Why is a Christian called to be a sharpening friend? It's because Jesus was a sharpening friend, refusing to let us think that unrepentant sin can just continue on. Why is a Christian called to be an honoring friend? It's because Jesus was an honoring friend who came and humbled himself that we might be lifted up. And why is a Christian called to be a praying friend? It's because Jesus is a praying friend who even right now prays for us from the right hand of the Father. You see, true friendship is hard work for sure. It's lay down your life kind of work. But Jesus did far more than prove himself to be the perfect friend. He did more than model true friendship. His cross is the very foundation of it. He laid down his life so that we could walk in new life. There's nothing stronger, nothing deeper, nothing more secure than the rock on which spiritual community is built. Jesus is that rock. He is the foundation of the church. And so let's allow him to be the foundation of our friendships. After all, only he can sustain them. All other ground is sinking sand. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we confess that we are bad friends. We are selfish. We're self-preserving. We're always looking out for number one, and that number one is us. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for our selfish ways. Would you help us by the grace that is given to us in the gospel to be so secure in Jesus, the one who lived for us, the one who died for us, the one who rose for us, that we can be fully and wholly who you've called us to be, that we might overflow with hope and love and grace unto others. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.